The Penguins like to score goals. The Penguins like to open it up. The Penguins like to slug it out toe-to-toe. But the Penguins have played 305 competitive hockey games since October of 2016. And right now their offense isn't doing much beyond Crosby and Gensel. So last night, in the third period, the Penguins checked their egos at the door, and their style too, and played defense. The Penguins just flat out deed up on the Caps. Washington got only three shots on goal in the third period. Alex Ovechkin didn't have one shot on goal all night. Sometimes that's how you got to win a playoff game. All that matters is the result, not how you get it. The Penguins got a very necessary result last night. This is the Mark Madden Show. Boy, what a series this is. So very evenly matched. It's on a knife's edge. Yikes. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. I can't wait to watch Game 5. And if you would like to watch Game 5 with me, Mark Madden, the super genius, go to Cal's Cantina in McKeesport because I will be hosting a Penguins viewing party tomorrow night. Game 5, Cal's Cantina, McKeesport by God PA, hockey talk, alcohol, wings, all the way live. Somebody in McKeesport say something about getting fired up. It's Double M tomorrow night. Watch the Penguins with me at Cal's Cantina. I really can't wait to watch game five. Last night's game was decided by a puck getting over the goal line by about two inches. And it took two reviews to make sure it counted. That's how close this series is. Uh, what an effort by Gino on that play, by the way. The crowd was nuts. Gensel scored twice. Max Talbot was there. Ryan Shazier at ringside. Sweet sassy Molassie. What a hockey night in Pittsburgh. Like I mentioned, the Penguins only allowed three shots in the third period. The Capitals had the puck a lot, but the Capitals did not dominate. The Penguins kept the caps on the outside, pressed against the boards. The Penguins blocked shots. The Penguins had safe hands when they did get the puck. In fact, the Penguins had seven shots in the third period, and they had the period's better chances and got them on the counterattack. The Caps liked to attack off the rush. The Penguins denied that. The Caps had to work down low, which they're not as good at. The Penguins just played a very smart third period. Smart means a lot in the playoffs. There was some creepy stuff by the Caps. Oshie left his feet to hit Latang, and then they fought. But Latang said after the game that it was good emotion. I'm not sure what the French word for condescending is. In other words, Tanger couldn't be bothered by that pissant. Oh, she's a creep. 
Backstrom threw his stick after the game saying, F this league. Well, then go play in another league, Junior. This one wouldn't miss you. You never win. And Orlov crossed at Gensel after Jake's first goal, but no biggie. Matt Murray played a very solid game. He still had trouble catching the puck, which I can't figure. But Murray played a very solid positional game. He had no chance on the one goal. And what the frig can you say about Jake Gensel? Jake and Bake. Wakey, wakey, eggs and Jakey. New Jake City. It's Jacob Alusa. Gensel Uber Ales. Gensel got two goals last night. He's got 10 goals and 11 assists in 10 playoff games this campaign. He's now got 23 goals and 35 playoff games on his career. So Gensel's goal per game in the playoffs is now third in NHL history. And Gensel trails only Mario Lemieux and Mike Bossy. Mine eyes have seen the glory. I'm not sure what else to say. Chris Letang got asked if he was surprised by what Gensel is doing. And Tanger said, last year I was surprised. This year, I expected it. Whammy. I, I liked how the Pens played in the third period. Like I said, it's 305 games since the season started in 2016-17. That includes 59 playoff games. You can't go a million miles per hour for 60 minutes every night. When speed isn't there, use smart. When the legs aren't there, be smart. But Haglin did provide speed. He set the pace. Haglin's return was very welcome. So we've got a ton to talk about now. 412-333-WXDX. I understand switching the lines to try and create balance. I understand moving Hornquist to Gino's line to help Gino. And by the way, Gino was very good last night. But I don't get Simone on Sid's line. I don't think Simone belongs in the league, let alone on Crosby's line. Simone has played 39 games this season in the NHL. And that includes six games in these playoffs. And Simone has four goals in 39 games. That includes none in the playoffs. And he spent a lot of those 39 games playing on Sid's line. I would not play Simone on Sid's line. You know who I would use instead? Somebody else. But I, I can't complain too much after a win. And especially when Mike Sullivan did such a great job coaching last night, I still say the series goes seven games. I think Washington wins tomorrow. The Pens win game six. And then it's all the marbles again at D.C. in game seven. Uh, at least nothing stupid happened last night. The Oshie thing at the end was just sad and pathetic. At least we could watch a hockey game last night, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, this is too funny to not mention right off the start of the show. Ben Roethlisberger appeared on the B team earlier today. And here's what he said about the Steelers drafting uh, quarterback Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State in the third round. Quote, as far as I know, I'm still the starter, unquote. 
quote, I told them I wanted to play three to five more years. Maybe they didn't believe me, unquote. And quote, does this mean they screwed up the Dobbs pick? Unquote. Make no mistake, Ben Roethlisberger is pissed that the Steelers drafted a quarterback. That's certainly how it reads. Do I have a problem with it? No, I do not. Because it's hilarious. Ha! Double M on the X. We got Jake on hold. Jake, please do stay on hold. We got Jason Mackey at 3.30. John Steigerwald at 4.15. And remember on yesterday's program where the Dunsky who played hockey at Carrick called? And I said, from now on, you have to have played either junior A or major college hockey to come on the show and say, hey, I played hockey, and to have your resulting expertise be taken even a little bit seriously. That's the line of demarcation. And I said, who'd I say? I said, Matt Scoff, the old Penn State goalie, he can call. Matt Bartkowski played for Calgary, he can call. Then I said, Vince Trocek played for Florida this year and scored 31 goals. He can call. Well, he called. Trocek was listening to the show, got a hold of me, and he's on at 530. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 The X. This is Phil Kessa of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden, the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Here's a tweet from somebody who doesn't know what they're watching. And I got a feeling the first call will be from somebody like-minded. But Blair tweets, rewatch the third period and laugh at the caps in the pen zone for the majority of it. The Penguins were running around, and if that defense keeps up, the Caps will score six goals tomorrow night. It was only a matter of time. Well, Blair, if it was only a matter of time, how come the Caps didn't score in the third period? I think that period could last another 20 minutes, and they were not going to score because the Penguins were in a solid rhythm of defending, and the Caps only got three shots on goal. The proof's in that pudding. I mean, you could talk all you want about the Caps buzzing around the net. The puck never got in it. In fact, the puck almost never got near it. The Capitals had the puck in places where it couldn't hurt the Penguins. And that was by design. That was because of the Penguins' very effective defending. There's more than one way to win. And I'm glad the Penguins had a plan B because... As fatigue sets in and the playoffs, you know, get older, the schedule tougher and longer. You can't go a million miles per hour 60 minutes every night. The time when they could do that, well, I think that's long since in the rearview mirror. Let's go to Jake on Neville Island. Jake, you're on 1059 the X. How are you, Mark? Good. I got a question. Uh Who's the biggest threat in the West right now? Dumb question, Jake. You you said you were going to talk about something else when you talked to my call screener, and I think that's a boring, dumbass question when the Penguins and Capitals played last night. Anything else? I don't know. Thanks for your time, Super Penis. No, it was great that you called. Let's go to Larry in Green Tree. Larry, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mr. Madden, how are you? Terrific. Hey, I think the defense played fantastic in the third period. They shut them down completely. I mean, they didn't the get any The defense was so good, I thought Chad Ruedel played well. Yeah, 
Right. My other question is, I, what is, I think Sullivan, he must, I don't know what he sees in Simone to put the The same thing so that Michelle Terrian saw in Michelle Ouellette. In, in other words, I don't know. But, yeah, but some coaches get stuck on guys who aren't very good and see something none of us do, and sometimes it works. This is not. Dominic Simon stinks. And it's one thing to have him on the team. It's quite another to have him on Sid's line. That said, that line still got a couple goals, albeit one of them into an empty net to clinch the game. Uh, Sully's doing a tremendous job. you got to give him a lot of credit, in particular, for last night's win. You saw a lot of coaching going on down the stretch, a lot of strings being pulled. Now, one of Sully's biggest strengths as a coach is he doesn't care who you are. He certainly accords respect where it's due. But last night, for example, Phil Kessel just had a nightmare of a game. It looks like he's playing hurt. An upper body injury, a hand, a wrist, a shoulder, something like that. So Phil wasn't very threatening, and he's never been a great defensive player. Not a shot blocker. That's for damn Skippy. So the Penguins are up 2-1 to one in the third, and Phil Kessel didn't play the last seven minutes. A lot of coaches would worry about a star getting the boo-boo face, and Phil probably did and probably will have it going into tomorrow's game. But Sully doesn't worry about that. Sully did the same thing with Malkin a couple of years ago. Didn't play him down the stretch, protecting a lead in a playoff game against the New York Rangers because Gino had been giving a haphazard effort on defense that particular night. Last night, Derek Broussard having a tough time, so Broussard only played nine minutes at even strength. Sully got it exactly right. You can try and fix the big picture later. Try and straighten out Kessel and Broussard later. But last night was must win. And Sully embraced the obvious, which some coaches don't do. 412-333-9930. Now we've got Jason Mackey in about seven or eight minutes from now. Let's go very quickly to John in the car. John, you're on with Double M. Hi, Mr. Madden. Hi, John. Hi, I got a question for you. Um, from your coaching experience um, with Dak, uh, I was just trying to. Yeah, I'm not like gonna. Exactly. I, I'm not gonna play the deck hockey coaching card to flaunt my expertise. That's about as useful as Carrick High School playing experience. So if you want to ask me a question, don't base it on that. All right. Well, I'm sorry about that, but I was just trying to see like what exactly do you think players should start running how to take face off? You really think that's an applicable question the day after a Capitals Penguins game four? This is just a general question. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of that. that. How old's your kid? You have a kid? You asking for a kid? No, I don't have a kid. I'm just trying to see from coaching experience. Cause... I think as soon as a hockey player comes out of the womb, which would be uncomfortable given, you know, him carrying the stick and all, he should start taking faceoffs immediately. Thank you for the call. What kind of friggin' question is that today? Let's go to Mark in Illinois. Mark, you're on with Double M. Good afternoon, Mr. Madden. Good afternoon. I gotta say I'm very satisfied with the win last night, but my only concern is the power play because Phil Kessel is absolutely invisible. If you were, they, they scored Sullivan, two power play goals, you know. 
What's that? They scored two power play goals, albeit one uh, through the empty net, but Geno's game-winning goal was a power play goal. Yes, I'm aware of that. But uh, Phil Kessel is absolutely invisible through the playoffs through his injury. If anybody says he doesn't have an injury, they're just oblivious to the sport. Well, it doesn't matter why he's invisible, but he is. Go ahead. If you were Coach Sullivan, would you possibly consider moving Jake Getzel up to the first power play? Okay, where would you play Jake Getzel? Uh, play him where Phil Kessel's at. Okay, so, okay, Mr. Hockey Expert, you would have a left-handed shot then on the left half wall. Well, he would be a better... Uh, okay, let me say it real slow to keep you from digging the hole of stupidity any deeper. You just don't play a left shot on the left half wall. I only remember it being done once here in Pittsburgh, and that was Ryan Whitney, who was exceptional at it. But other than that, it just doesn't work. So you just don't take this guy out and put that guy in. The guy you put in has to fit, and Gensel would not in that spot. Now, if you were to suggest to sit Kessel and put Latang in that spot, with Schultz staying up top, that I might agree with. Because Latang's played that spot before, and he's a right-handed shot. He played over there when Gonchar was at the top of the power play. But let me caution you. Even though Sullivan did the right thing not playing uh, Kessel the last seven minutes last night, if you took Kessel off the first power play, he would definitely get the boo-boo face and definitely not be as good 5-on-5, but he's not very good 5-on-5 right now. And you got to play him. You can't scratch him because who are you going to put in? Dominic Simone's twin brother? They're scraping the bottom of the Wilkes-Barre barrel right now. Thank you very much. See, I took your stupidity and gave you a whole new outlook. Hopefully a more accurate one the next time you flap your lips. Up next, Jason Mackey from the Post-Gazette, 105.9. This is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. The Penguins won last night here in Pittsburgh. Can they win again tomorrow night at D.C.? Joining me to discuss in the Post-Gazette, it's hockey writer Jason Mackey. Uh, Mackay, what's your take on the Penguins' third period last night? That was about as defensive as we've seen the Penguins choose to play all year. Yeah, I, I look at that and I think about it sort of through Mike Sullivan's eyes. And I'm Mike Sullivan, I think, where the heck is that the rest of the time, Mark? I mean, they, they wanted to do it, and I think this is a good you know, I wouldn't say great, but good defensive club when they want to be. Uh, gaps were good. There wasn't a ton of ice out there for either team. They're managing the puck well. Um, they're, they have numbers back, and they seem very committed to defending. Uh, but I feel like they sort of smell. They play like it. It's just they need more of it. Matt Murray called himself shaky after Game Three. Do you feel like he regrouped a bit last night? I do. I do, and I thought it was uh, big on Matt Murray to say he was shaky. I think it was a fair assessment of his game. I think uh, I think fairly a lot of people were worried about where he would go um, after late in the Philly series and beginning of the Washington series. I don't think he was as good as he was early on, but I thought he was excellent last night. I thought it was his best game of the round. Uh, I don't think it was close. Made a couple of very big saves when they needed him. Uh, got a little worried there with the injury when he took the shot of the collarbone, but looked fine after a little bit of a stinger. And, uh, you know, credit to Matt Murray. I, I thought he was very good last night. As I said, I'll be interested to see what he does down in Washington. How on earth do you explain Jake Gensel 
and his 10 goals in 10 games in these playoffs. That's just beyond crazy. I don't, I, I don't have any idea how to explain it, Mark. I mean, I can try to throw out a couple things. Uh, you know, I give Gensel a lot of credit for, for being about 170 pounds soaking wet. Maybe not even that, to be honest with you. And, and to go to where he does on the rink and, and his touch around the net and that sort of thing, I mean, it's very, very impressive. Uh, not only that, too, but I, I've spent some time thinking about the difficulties that we've seen some guys have playing with Sidney Crosby. And Gensel, I think, get it, gets it more than most. Uh, he just he is able to think the game with Sid. Sid likes playing with him. And, you know, I don't know what was happening with the regular season, why it wasn't as clicking as much as it is. But when I see those two together, my goodness, I mean, there's some high-level thinking going on there. Yeah, no question. I think those 10 goals by Jake, uh, they reflect Sid's dominance to a large degree. But, like you said, Gensel thinks the game very similar to Sid, and he really prospers near the blue paint, doesn't he? Like, with his first goal last night, how does Gensel do that? Because, like you said, he's hardly a big guy. Oh, I know. And it, it, it's different than Hornquist. You know, Hornquist is bull in a china shop, going to just sort of use brute strength around there. And Gensel can't quite do that. But, I don't know, I think some of it's eye-hand coordination. I think some of it's anticipation. I think some of it is courage, a, a word that Mike Sullivan likes to use a lot. But I did a story, I think it was last week, Mark, in Washington, about the, the number of tipped goals the Penguins scored. And there's a lot of them. And the three guys doing it, Crosby, Hornquist, and Gensel, it's just astonishing. And I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but Gensel, um, like if you would take his total of tipped goals scored so far, it would lead the league um, during the course that he's been in the, the league. or some, some, I, He is just so good at that style of play, and I, some of it almost defies logic. What did you make of Mike Sullivan shuffling the lines, especially putting Dominic Simone on Sid's line. I rarely question a Sully decision, but I think Simon is a terrible fit there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you, Mark. I, I was extremely surprised by it. Um, I still don't quite understand it, but if you have Crosby and Gensel producing the way they are, I feel like you know you or I could be on that line, and I think that'd still be all right. So maybe that's what Sullivan's thinking. I know that he likes Haglin, Malkin, and Hornquist together. Um, he's called those two two workers before, and I think that's a key word when, when talking about Gino and Simone just kind of fits. I think they're trying to do anything they can to get Kessel going, to get Broussard going. Uh, and I, I think it just sort of shakes out that Simone is the best in that spot. But of that overall decision, Mark, I, I thought that was a really, really gutsy move by Sullivan to screw with your top line. It's been the best line in the league in the playoffs. Uh, you know, separate them and take that chance. And if that blows up, we're all going to be bringing it back at Sullivan's face. But both moved by him, and it worked out. Well, I had no problem with Hornquist going back with Malkin. I just would rather see, say, Brian Rust with Crosby than Dominic Simone. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I think they need to get Rust on. And do put up there, especially Mark, is Connor Sherry. Just because, I mean, he is invisible in the bottom six. He's really invisible on the fourth line. I feel like, you know, we're sort of back to where we were in the middle they're playing him, he's suited for or scratch him. And I'd be fine with either one. Uh, and he's been good with Sid, and that line has functioned well. Uh, but I guess to our earlier point with Dominic Simone, I, he just, he doesn't look like a long-term fit there, but he played well enough. We're talking to Jason Mackey from the Post-Gazette. He's brought to you by our friends at windownation.com. Uh, Makai, what's wrong with Phil Kessel? He's got to be hurt. They're very tight-lipped as 
you'd expect in the playoffs, but something's wrong. Yeah, no, it, it something is definitely wrong, and I think it it has started out physical, and I wouldn't doubt that it has trickled into mental as well. I mean, we've watched him play a lot of hockey, and he just does not look right whatsoever. And I mean, I'm talking about taking a basic shot from the left circle. Saw that last night. I believe it was on the power play. They go the other way. Jay Beagle gets a chance for the Capitals. And I mean, I, is he hesitant because there's something up with his ribs or his wrist or his forearm or his elbow? I I don't know the part of the body, but I, I don't think it takes a you know a, a, a hockey expert or genius or, or somebody who's enlightened to determine that he's not healthy. It doesn't look right at all. And Mike Sullivan kind of bristled at that idea today uh, that he's no more banged up than anybody else on the team. I, I have a tough time agreeing with that. Um, well, yeah, but, but I know why Mike's doing that, because you got to play him. I mean, there's really not a choice, is there? No, there's not. And they don't have another guy, and they have to hope they get the best thing for Kessel. But right now, he's not producing. Right now, he's not adding anything else. And, and you know, if, if Phil's not scored, he's not doing a ton for your team. So I understand why he's saying that, and they're going to do whatever they can to get him going, but I, I, he's nowhere near 100%. I thought it was pretty gutsy that Sullivan didn't play Kessler at all the last seven minutes, or that Broussard didn't get much ice time, period. Don't get me wrong, it, it's what I'd have done. It's what their play merited, but you're talking about, you know, the guy who could have won the Conn Smythe Nice in the last two years and your big trade deadline acquisition. Yeah, I actually thought the Broussard thing was a little bit, more confusing or, or strange or shocking to see, however you want to term that, just because he is a good two-way player. I don't feel like Broussard's two-way game has struggled. He just hasn't been able to put some of the chances he's gotten in the back of the net. Um, I just think it's kind of a, a scary area with Broussard right now. I mean, they're asking him to dig out of a hole and play better, and they're giving him Tom Kuhnhackle and Connor Sherry as line mates. I'm not sure that's the greatest situation, but um, I, don't, I don't have a ton – a huge problem with not playing Kessel in a tight hockey game. Uh, the way the Capitals were, were were playing sort of all around, the way this series has gone, which how tight it's been, uh, that's not Kessel's game, and that's really not a banged-up Kessel's game for sure. It took two reviews, not one but two. But that Geno goal was great, wasn't it? I mean, he went horizontal and gave maximum effort to get that puck in the net. Oh, it was incredible. It was incredible. It was one of those ones I, I like seeing because you can kind of see the player's mind at work. Like, it was neat to see Malkin realize where the puck was, realize what he had to do to get there, and the limited amount of time he had to get to the puck. And, um, you know, it it was a crazy sequence because there was no hockey played in the span of about 12 or 13 minutes, it feels like. But um, I also felt that just the whole feel in the building, you were there, Mark, everything changed when he got that goal. It was just just such a big answer for the Penguins and, and them to get one in that fashion I thought was really important. Did the defense play well, the defensemen? I thought all six guys had a pretty good night, even the bottom pair, and I thought Latang was brilliant in the third period. Yes, yes, yes. And that's he's had a couple of those now. I, I don't know I, I believe it was game one in the third period that sort of stands out to me. He's had a couple of stretches where he's just absolutely terrific and, and people love to sort of point to you know, every time he makes a mistake, everybody wants to freak out about Chris Latang. And I, I feel like we're past that point now where he's a liability. I mean, he's absolutely an asset. Are there still periods where he makes some boneheaded mistakes? Yeah. But he's not the only one on the team. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought Latang has, has been very good um, this series. I think he was even better than the Philadelphia series. And they're starting to 
you know, realize the value. I think some other people are starting to realize the value, too, of what he brings. What was Oshi trying to prove at the end there? Hitting Latang high and then getting in a fight? Uh, that struck me as incongruous. I didn't see the point at all. No, I, I agree with you. I don't know what he was doing other than launching himself like a missile at Latang. I think it was just pure emotion. Um, you know, I was around T.J. Oshi yesterday morning for his little rant about physicality and Tom Wilson or whatever, and I really think that the Capitals are, are genuinely agitated or feel like they've been wronged by the NHL for having Tom Wilson taken away from them, and I think that's sort of what you saw. There was a moment with Nicholas Backstrom at the end of the game, like slamming his stick and, and cursing the league or something. You have Oshi doing that stupid stuff, and you know, I, I, in some weird, twisted way, like I think the Capitals feel like they had something taken away from them because some guy who loves to run around and cheap shot people. I don't, I don't necessarily understand it, but I think OC was out of more more frustration than anything else. Well, I think you're right. And uh, by the way, that that high hit by Oshie was the high hit of someone who doesn't know how to deliver a high hit. Uh, if, if if the Capitals want to do that, they should pick a better uh, guy to execute. But uh, the Capitals seem more rattled by Wilson being suspended than the Penguins were not having Geno the first two games. And maybe that shows the difference between the mental outlooks of the two teams because not having Tom Wilson, a guy with the rep who's been suspended twice this year already, that should not rattle them like it is. No, not at all. And it shouldn't rattle any good team. You know, how many times have we seen a Mike Sullivan coach team, you know, freak out about some piece of adversity? I mean, they, they just don't. Uh, they've played so many games where they're missing a player, either because of suspension or injury or or maybe both, or they're down in a series, or going on the road, or, or whatever the case may be. And it's just that there's sort of a no-excuses mindset. The Capitals are there yesterday at the morning skate. And, and, oh, woe is them, and all this stuff. And I, I just think it's such a difference in organizations. And you also look at somebody like Barry Trotz. You know, how do you go about replacing Tom Wilson? And I think that if Mike Sullivan would do something similar, he would probably make a more complicated move that shows how he knows his hockey team, i.e. screwing with his line, and here you go, Barry Trotz, he's just going to plug the most similar player as Tom Wilson he has, Devontae Smith-Talley. But, but you know what, I'm going to back Trotz on that one a little bit, Makai, because I think Wilson's a duster. I think he's a bum who had a lucky season, and I think if Devontae Smith-Talley had played the whole year on Ovi's line, he probably would have had 14 goals. I think that's really switching like for like. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, I can see your reasoning, Mark, but I guess what I, if I was Barry Trotz, I would probably try to reconfigure my top six and try to get two different identities to those lines. Of course, I know that's easy for me to say now in hindsight where, where things didn't go all that well for them, um, and maybe it's also put too much importance on Tom Wilson. Uh, finally, uh, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow night? Because i got a feeling this series is going seven games regardless of who wins tomorrow. It's almost like it's preordained. I'm with you, Mark. I think it's going seven. I don't have a great feel for what's going to happen tomorrow. I guess if I had to pick something, I'd say the Penguins win, and then they come back here and lose in six. Um, I don't know why I feel that. No, no. Shot, that, but, to uh, be honest, if you made me make a, a call and write it in stone, that's what I'd predict. And I'm with you on seven, though. This has all the markings of a game seven coming right down to the wire. Uh, these teams are evenly matched, and uh, I'm with you. This goes seven. And then Wilson will come back for game seven. It'll be like Maximus in the Roman Coliseum. <laughs> oh, goody. I can't wait for that. None of us can. Thanks, Mackay. That's Jason Mackey from the Post-Gazette. Brought to you by Window Nation. More hockey talk. And don't forget, tomorrow night, 
I'll be watching the game at Cal's Cantina in McKeesport. Great place to watch a hockey game. It's my third trip back there this year. I'll have hockey talk. I'll have prizes. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat. I'm going to watch the hockey game. Why don't you come to Cal's and do the same? I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. Here's a tweet from Robert. With all due respect, I think you're being too critical of Simone. Gensel's opening goal doesn't happen without a solid second assist by Simone. He's not Patrick Kane, but overall he was plus one in 14 minutes of ice time. He plays a 200-foot game unlike Sprong. Well, Robert, nobody's suggesting Sprong plays instead. I'd like to see Rust on Crosby's right wing and not Simone. But you bring up a point. Whatever works is whatever works. Brian Rust hasn't played all that well recently, so I doubt that anybody but Simone will be on Crosby's right wing tomorrow night at D.C. No quarter. Brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Here's a headline at Deadspin.com. Sidney Crosby makes everyone better. Gee, what cutting-edge hockey analysis. Uh, That's not exactly breaking news, but the Penguins have scored 10 goals in this playoff series against Washington, and Sidney Crosby has been on the ice for every single one. That is an amazing tribute to Sid and a sizable indictment of every other forward on the Penguins not named Jake Gensel. Uh, The Simone thing, I don't get. I don't get him on Sid's line. I don't get him on the Penguins. I don't get him in the NHL, period. Now, I understand what Mike Sullivan, the coach, what he's trying to do. I get it. He's trying to create balance. But again, I'd rather see Rust on that line instead of Simone. If Sully wants to play Hornquist with Gino, I'd go with Rust on Sid's line and not Simone. Uh, I would have left Hornquist on the Sid line for now. But I get Sully, A, looking for balance, B, trying to jumpstart Gino after him coming back from the injury. And I think Gino's played very well in both games since returning from injury. What a great effort for that goal last night. And as I've been saying all year, I think this season, and maybe dating back the previous two seasons too, this is the best Gino ever. I don't care what the stats say. I know we had more points some years before this run of Stanley Cups, but this is the best Gino ever. The 200-foot Gino, the team Gino, the defense Gino, the make your teammates better Gino, the do everything Gino. This is the best Gino ever. And that goal last night, going horizontal, diving head first to put the puck a couple inches over the goal line and win the game. Wow. That speaks real big of number 71. You know what I, I find myself wondering? Whenever Gino scores in the playoffs and his parents are in town, and I've not seen Vladimir and Natalia yet, personally, and I, I like them both very much. They don't speak a word of English. I'm told they listen to this show when they're in town. 
To what end, I don't know. But they know who I am, and they're very nice people. But Gino's wife's, like, real hot. So when the parents go up on the screen, I bet most guys are looking at the wife. And I don't blame them at all. I bet Gino wouldn't either. Up next, I'm going to talk about cracks showing with the Washington Capitals. 105.90X.